Morning, everyone. Happy New Year. Glad that we can be together this morning as we begin not only a new year, but depending on who you believe, a new decade. It could be next, a year from now, a new decade. I'm not sure. But either way, it's new, and uh, we have a chance to be together and listen to what God has to say to us this morning. So please join me in prayer. Father, thanks that we can gather here within these walls to quiet our hearts and listen for your voice. Our desire, Father, is not just to live, but to live fully in the story of hope that you're writing in the world. We're grateful that you invite us into such a story. Give us ears to hear today what your Spirit is saying to each of us individually and collectively. Give us hearts to respond. We pray as well today, Father, for our nation, our leaders, mindful that uh, it just seems that every day is more tenuous, that uh, the opportunity for war and violence is all around us. Would you give wisdom to those in authority, Father, in order, as Paul says in Timothy, that we might live lives of peace and Regardless of what's going on politically, Father, I pray that you would create communities that offer an alternative, that offer hope and, and peace and generosity and a place at the table for everyone. May that be the story, Father. Give us ears to hear this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So I don't know how you answered the question about New Year's resolutions, but I know this. I looked up why do New Year's resolutions fail on Google because by Saturday, I'd already failed one of my resolutions. And so uh, there are 7,980,000 web pages that answer that question. That's ridiculous. So uh, apparently, this is a thing, we make resolutions and then uh, we fail. And we're not going to talk about resolutions this morning, but we are going to talk about developing habits in our lives that provide a context in which the life of God in us can flourish. And my hope is that uh, 10 years from now, all of us will look back and say, I knew my gifts, I used my gifts, I was involved in community, uh, and, and God used us collectively to be a voice of hope in this beautiful yet broken city in which we find ourselves. So that's why we're here this morning, and we want to make sure that we're asking at the outset of the year the right question. And the the right question is not, what do I want to do with the year ahead? Do I want to lose 10 pounds? Do I want to have a different body mass? Do I want to make more money? Do I want to travel? Go ahead and ask the question, but it's not the foundational, fundamental question that is going to lead you to discover the life for which you're created. Really, there's two questions that we want to ask this morning, and those two questions constitute the outline. So if you're an outline taker, because it was a holiday, well, there's nothing in the, in the bulletin, but here's the two questions that we're, we're talking about this morning. Who am I, and why am I here? Those are really, really important foundational questions in all of our lives. Who am I, why am I here? And if we can answer those and, and develop practices along the lines that feed our most fundamental identity and calling, uh, then 10 years from now, we're going to look back and say, look what God did. It was amazing. God wrote a story in our lives that was beyond what we could ask or hope or even imagine. So let's begin here with this first question, who am I? Because really, if you, if you don't understand your most fundamental foundational identity, you will never enter into the life uh, for which you're created by God. And here's the thing. We start answering the question, who am I, with this. I'm created by God. That's the first thing that you see. Psalm 139 says this, each one of us are fearfully and wonderfully made. 
And if you kind of, if you were to unpack that, kind of in the Hebrew language and that kind of thing, what you would discover is what is obvious to us all in the, at the outset, physically, each one of us is unique. We belong to a species, we're all human, but if you look around the room, no one is the same. And that's not only true physically, but it's true emotionally, it's true mentally, it's true spiritually as well. Each one is unique. Not only unique, but made for relationship with God, and all of us in the room have capacity to have a relationship with God, because according to Romans 8, we're forgiven for our failures to the extent that we're in Christ. We have peace with God to the extent that we're in Christ. We have access to God to the extent that we're in Christ. Therefore, we can live lives where we're quick to confess, quick to realign ourselves with the role that God has for us in the story of hope that God is writing in the world. We may stray, but we can come back again and again and again and again knowing that we're forgiven and more. Here's the fundamental thing that I want to share with you this morning. Not only are you forgiven, not only are you created by God, but, but in Christ, each one of you have unique gifts to contribute to the quote-unquote, building up of the body. Paul talks about the building up of the body of Christ, which is the church, in 1 Corinthians 12. And it's really interesting that Paul has two metaphors in 1 Corinthians 12 to describe the church. One is a body, and one is a building. And, and, and when he talks about the body, he says the body has many members, just like I have, a, I have hands and eyes and ears and nose and feet have many members, but I'm only one body. Similarly, all of us are members of God's church, the body of Christ, but there's one body, right? But then he says, you are given unique gifts and your unique gifts are given to you in order to, and now we go to a building metaphor, in order to build the body of Christ. Well, what is that talking about? That's what Megan read this morning in the scriptures. Uh, you are, we are collectively, we all are collectively, a temple. We're, we're building. So God is building a building called a temple. And we are, this is interesting, we're both the builders of the temple and we're the construction materials in the temple. In, in Paul's metaphor, in 1 Corinthians 3 and Ephesians 2, we're the building, but we're also doing the building and we're also the materials that are the building. Now, why a temple? Good question. Here's the thing. If you go back and you look at ancient Near Eastern history, in every religion, there are temples. And temples in every religion were built by the people who built the temples to be a resting place for their gods. So then, you know, along comes the creation narrative, and though it's way beyond the scope of this talk this morning, I'll just say to you, God's intent was that the earth would be God's temple. And then sin entered in, the earth is not a resting place for God, so then God said, I'm going, to make, I'm going to create a people who will represent my heart, and those people will worship in a tabernacle, and the tabernacle would be the resting place of God. And then the tabernacle, which was kind of this mobile worship center as Israel wandered through the wilderness, became in Ezekiel and the book of Ezra a temple, like a permanent building in Jerusalem. And then when you read Ezekiel, the glory of God left the temple, and now we come to the New Testament and we read in John 1, the word became flesh, Christ came, dwelt among us. And now in the New Testament, the temple that is the dwelling place of God is not the tabernacle, not the wall in Jerusalem. Look around, this is the temple. And I don't mean these walls, I mean you. When we gather collectively 
God's desire is that we would collectively be a place where God is at rest. That's amazing. So that's our calling, that we would be a place where God is at rest. But not only that, the place where God is at rest is intended by God to be a shelter where other people can come and be at rest as well. And so our life together is creating a space of worship where God is at rest and a space where other people are safe. And I'm just going to suggest to you that you see this all the time. You see it here on Mondays in the community meal. You see it many nights in the shelter that we have going on here. You see it in ministry partnerships locally and globally. You see it in our wilderness ministry. You see it in our faith and work ministry. You see it, as we heard uh, articulated so beautifully in the video, in our, in our Stevens ministry. Bethany is a shelter. It's not perfect. Still wrestling with what it means to be both a safe place and a place of transformation at the same time. But in spite of our imperfections, in spite of our shortcomings, we believe that God is writing a story of hope through us and significant. Every person has a role to play in that story. So if you come and you only listen and receive, then you're not fully living into your calling. This is the point. We, all of us have gifts to give, so we want to be not just listeners, but participants. And to do that, I need to discover the gifts that God has given me, and then I need to use those gifts. It says in Ecclesiastes, whatever it is that your hand has found to do, do with all your might. And what is meant by that is, look, when you understand who you are, how you're wired, what your gifts are, go deep there, use those gifts, love those gifts, celebrate those gifts. So two things. First of all, know and use your gifts. Really, really important. And if you don't know your gifts, uh, just get involved, and over time, your gifts will kind of rise to the surface, and you, you'll begin to understand, oh yeah, I, I'm uniquely wired to do this thing. I'll give you an example in my own life. Uh, I, I discovered that I had a gift of teaching because way back when I was in college studying architecture, someone asked me to teach high school Sunday school class and I said no, and then I said no again, and then I finally said yes, and when I said yes, I went to my uncle's house and I said, terrible thing has happened, I have to teach Sunday school tomorrow to these young people, my uncle's a pastor, he pulls out a stack of commentaries on Joshua, I teach, and then the youth pastor calls me on Monday and he goes, hey, uh, I want to talk to you about yesterday, and I immediately thought of my insecurity, he's going to, like I'm... I committed heresy, I'm going to be excommunicated. And he said, uh, the high school students would like you to teach again next Sunday. Would you do it again? And because of that single thing, I ultimately went to seminary and discovered that God had given me a gift. I love studying and sharing. So I, I, like I was, I'm privileged to have found my gift. By trying different things, do you see, you'll find your gift. Because here's the thing, remember, Psalm 139, God made you. So God knows you better than you know yourself. I would not have ever thought I'd become what I am now. So I didn't design my own life. God kind of built this into me. Very, very important. So allow yourself to try things and discover how God is wired. Know your gift. But then second, don't impose your gift on other people. This is a huge mistake that I made uh, early on in my life. I thought that because I love studying the Bible, everyone should study the Bible the way I study the Bible. And 
so I married my, my wife, Donna. We've been married 40 years. And I quickly discovered that she does not study the Bible the way I study the Bible because she has totally different gifts. Donna has gifts of serving and encouraging. And I have gifts of teaching and leading and exhorting. And these gifts, I will tell you, are like oil and water. They're just, they just don't, they just don't mix very well. So there was a long time early in our marriage when we were in conflict, she's saying to me, would you wake up and see the physical things that need to be done all around you and begin to participate? Would you serve? And I'm saying to her, would you study? Would you serve? Would you study? At, on our honeymoon, like three days we're married, and I, at, over breakfast, I go, I got to read my devotions for this morning. They were amazing. And, and so I, like, I opened this Oswald Chambers thing, this book, devotional book. I go, isn't that awesome? Here, here's my wife, Donna. I don't understand a word of that. That's the most boring thing I've ever heard. <laughs> and I was like, oh, man, this is going to be a tough marriage, right? <laughs> like, we are in different places. And then, like, years of this, study more, serve more, encourage more. <laughs> then, one day, I'm over here, in the building across the, the, just to the north, there's a potluck going on, and so I'm, I'm standing in line to get my food, and someone is, comes up to me and says, oh, Richard, I'm glad I'm in line with you, because I have this question, and he asked me this deep theological question having to do with free will and predestination and eschatology and the kingdom of God and all this stuff, and I'm secretly, I'm like this, finally, my wife is stuck here, she's gonna listen to this, she's gonna learn how important it is to think theologically, it's all going to be, it's just going to, and she's going to, she's going to, she, and I'm picturing already, oh, thank you, honey, when we get home, thank you. That was amazing. I want to read what you read. So I'm talking to this guy, assuming my wife is behind me, because she was, and then when I turn around to see her response, she's gone. And I'm like this, oh yeah, typical, right? Just checked out. Instead, I get up to the front of the line to get my potato at the potato bar, and my wife has gotten, she, she was serving the potatoes. So she was like this. I was listening to you, it seemed a little boring, and I noticed that they didn't have a, enough servers, so I went to serve. That was a, like a light went on moment for me when I was like this. Oh, this is what you do, I see. I didn't even know there were potatoes in the room, right? Because I'm so busy thinking up here that my feet aren't on the ground. We, here's the point, we need each other. And whatever gifts that you have, I'm just going to say to you, if you look around this room, everyone in the room needs what you have. And our city needs what you have. And so if you think church is just a matter of coming and like a, like, a, like you're a car and you're just here to get filled. No. The whole point of this thing is that you have gifts to use, you, you have gifts to contribute uh, to the body of Christ. So who are you? You're, you're a gifted person completing Christ with, with gifts to give to the body. And then in Romans 12, continuing on in this gift theme, the author Paul uh, says in Romans 12, look, whatever it is that you're doing, do it with all your might, right? 
If, if your gift is generosity, then make gobs of money and give most of it away. If your gift is teaching, then uh, study. Take Romans commentaries on vacation like I do so that you can share something later. You know, if, if your gift is encouraging, then write notes of encouragement. And, and look for ways to actively encourage. If your gift is serving, serve. If your gift is, is mercy, then go to the edges and, and serve those on the edges. There are ample opportunities to use your gifts within our life together, but you are not here just to fill your tank. And people who do that only ultimately become cynical or bored or disengaged and their faith crashes somewhere along the way. So I understand in the coming year, my hope for you is that you'll really fall in love with your gifts and learn to use your gifts. And, and, and when you find the thing you love, you find joy in that thing. It becomes almost an obsession for you. Um, I love seeing people who, who do well their calling, right? And we all know people who are in love with what they do. My favorite story about this is uh, some years ago, our refrigerator broke and we called, uh, some guy was recommended to us to, who would come and fix a refrigerator, like an appliance guy. He comes in, this guy loves refrigerators. I mean, he, he fixes other appliances as well, but the joy of his heart is refrigerators. So he, like he, it's not working. He opens the freezer and he's like this. Look, look what you've done. I mean, it's kind of condemning tone, right? He goes, um, this is supposed to be 80% full max. And you've got 110% full. The fan is, the fan is dead. And then he replaces the fan and Megan reminded me uh, that the guy then says to Donna and I, it's lucky I got here when I did. You almost lost her. <laughs> like, this guy has found his calling, right? Man, I want that for you. I want you to know what it is that God has created you to do. So when you answer the question, why am I here? It's not to get more stuff or more experiences or more religions or, or, or have a nice family. You're here to find your gift and use it. My friend Jeremiah Small was killed at the age of 35 as a teacher in an English-speaking uh, high school in Baghdad. He was using his gift of teaching. My friend Major Thomas died at the age of 93 after founding 27 Bible schools around the, uh, around the world. He was using his gift of leadership and vision. There are mus uh, musicians and police and first responders and people who give away most of their money and people who determine to live simply and offer hospitality and people who serve in our shelter and people who serve meals and people who serve as Stephen ministers. And these people are, I'm telling you, rich, poor, young, old, conservative, liberal, every number on the Enneagram. They're everything. But what they all share in common is a belief that they've received gifts not to store them up, but to share them. Remember what Jesus said? Freely received, freely give. So my prayer for you at the beginning of this year, this decade, is that you are confident that you're in Christ, and if you're in Christ, that that core identity of who you are in Christ is what's shaping you. Skiers ski, crossfitters do their work out of the day, accountants play with numbers. People in Christ develop their gifts. So know your gifts 
and use them. That's the first thing. Why am I here? Because God has given me gifts to give to the community so the community can more accurately represent Christ to a world desperately needing Christ. Second question, why am I here? And the answer, pretty simple, worship, edification, and love. There's three reasons I'm here. And we're going to go through all these. And these are important because I know people who know their gifts, and in spite of knowing their gifts and using their gifts, they've kind of flamed out or burnt out in their faith. In other words, they started, but as the years became the decades, their love for God, their love for other people, and their love for being involved in the story of hope that God is writing in the world kind of disappeared. And, and all of us know people who began the faith and didn't finish. It happens all the time. So how do, like, how do we build sustainability into using our gifts? Well, these three things. Worship, edification, and love. All three very, really important. And these are values, right? So that we can run this thing that is a marathon that is the Christian life. So, so here we go. First of all, we're made for worship. We're made for worship. In John chapter 4... Jesus is dialoguing with this woman uh, at the well. He's come, he's thirsty, he wants water. She's a Samaritan. They're having a, they're having a conversation. Uh, when the conversation gets a little too intimate, the woman changes the subject in a way and she, she wants to talk theology. And she says, hey, uh, you seem to know stuff, my paraphrase. Uh, you know a lot. Um, the Samaritans, the Jews are having a debate. Is it... Is it uh, this mountain or Mount Gerizim that we should be worshiping on. I mean, where are we supposed to worship? And then Jesus says, hey, uh, who cares what mountain? Again, my paraphrase. But here's what Jesus says. It's neither this mountain or that mountain. What God is looking for is those that worship in spirit and in truth. So, like, my encouragement to you is to develop habits of worship for the coming year. We do a thing around here at Bethany called Rule of Life, and these little cards about, about Rule of Life, what it is and how you do it, are available at the back, at an information table. This is a good way to start your year by visiting your Rule of Life, by asking questions, what, like what habits are in my life that flow from my identity in Christ that are contributing to sustainable faith? And some of these habits that are here on a Rule of Life card have to do with helping you be a person of uh, worship. For example, solitude and silence has to do with worship. Solitude and silence has to do with worship. I know some of you uh, walk Green Lake. Many days, who in the room walks around Green Lake on a pretty regular basis? Yeah. I've seen some of you around, going around Green Lake. Anyway, uh, Green Lake can be a time uh, when you can you know, turn off your phone and pay attention to creation, and in solitude and silence, develop these habits of awe and gratitude and worship. So that worship does be, is no longer just a Sunday experience or experience contingent on gathering in a community, but worship is that we're, we're mindful and we're in awe and expressing gratitude in many places, in many ways. Look what God has done. Look what, and even a meal, when we, when we pause and say, God, this food that we're about to eat is a gift from you. That's an act of worship. So God is inviting us to develop habits of worship because we are made for worship and God is looking for worshipers. Those who live in worship kind of 
have this sense of awe and wonder that makes them, over decades, still um, grateful to God for what God is doing because they see the activity of God in the world. They're paying attention. So develop habits having to do with worship. Second, since we're made to edify, we're made to build up others, then develop habits of service and prayer for others as well, right? Uh, this is important because there are others who need what you have to give. And there are many times in my own life when I'm not sure if I'm having an impact or not in any given setting when I'm using my gifts. I'm super self-critical, and so often if I'm preaching and I see somebody sleeping in the fourth row or something like that, I just go home and I'm like this. I, I, just, have to, I just have to quit. I just have to, uh, like, I just don't, I don't, it's a joke. I don't, really, I don't really have that gift. But I can't tell you how many times I've not felt like showing up, and I've showed up anyway, and then God has ended up using that, right? I, I was in uh, Innsbruck a few years ago visiting friends in a German-speaking church, and uh, when the service ended, a guy came up to me, and I didn't recognize him at all, he said, Richard! Hello. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't want to let people know I don't know them, so I'm all friendly. Hi, how are you? You know. He said, do you remember me? I said, kind of not, really, no. He said, oh, this was in 2005. He said, oh, in 1990. In 1990, you taught Genesis. And he said, it was the most significant thing that ever happened in my life, other than coming to Christ. You, you spoke about marriage a little bit, and I was under conviction at that moment I needed to end a relationship that was super toxic and unhealthy. I was dating a girl, and I didn't want to end it, and I did end it. And then he said, you want to meet my family? And he brought me over, and he showed me, here's this woman that he married and their three children. And I was like this, wow. Like, you just never actually know when you're out using your gifts, what God is doing with those gifts. But here's the thing, you don't have to know. Just keep showing up. Because when you use your gifts, God will use those gifts to build up the body of Christ. So you're made to build up others. You're made for worship. And finally, you're made for love. And uh, again, in your rule of life, disciplines such as generosity and hospitality and truth-telling all foster a posture of love driving you into community. And so it's vital that the, the gifts that God has given us are used for the purpose of love. Because as Jesus taught us uh, throughout the whole time of his ministry, love is first and foremost. When somebody said to him, hey, Jesus, in what way... Uh, is all the law and the prophets fulfilled? Jesus said, it's pretty simple. You could boil the entire Old Testament down. And if you boil it down, you did like a, what a, a chef would call a reduction. And you boil the whole thing down. All that you're left with is two things. What are they? Love God and what? Love your neighbor. That's it. 
Love God, love your neighbor. And, and if you're going to love God and love your neighbor as yourself, you need to love yourself as well. And so then you begin to see that by loving God and by loving other people, your well-being is inextricably tied to my well-being. And when you are better, I am better. And when I am worse, you are worse. And when we together see ourselves as linked, not individual, then we become committed to one another. And when we do that, we find ourselves going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into community. And then that love that we have for each other, ultimately, as that love kind of matures, it, be, it becomes a love also for creation. A love for the wildflower, the meadow grass, the sparrow, the raven. Everything is part of God's heavenly realm. One author writes it this way. When I think of this kind of Christianity, I think of a movement of revolutionary love. It's distinctively Christian, but not exclusive, because we truly see love as Jesus' point and passion. And if Jesus called us to love our neighbors, then what Jesus means by that is that we're called to love our Jewish and Muslim and Hindu and Buddhist and Sikh and indigenous and non-religious and agnostic and atheist and gay and straight neighbors as ourselves. Imagine hundreds of thousands of congregations each locally and globally engaged as schools of love, teaching future generations to discover, practice, and live in love. Love for God, love for neighbor, love for ourselves, love for creation, all comprising collectively the true life of faith. That's the life we're made for. So Paul warns us in 1 Corinthians 13 that we can know our gifts, use our gifts, but not in a posture of love. And what he, what he says there in 1 Corinthians 13 is that unless love is undergirding the use of our gifts, it's unsustainable and ultimately becomes ugly. So we love, we edify, we worship. These are values and we use our gifts. This is why, this is who we are. We're gifted, the presence of Christ in the world. And then we do this. And here's the thing. We do it again and again and again and again. We just keep showing up. And when we keep showing up, good things happen. Uh, two things kind of framed for me and understand the value of continuing to show up both happened right after I came to Bethany Community Church almost 25 years ago now. Uh, number one, within the first two months that we were here at Bethany, a small group at Bethany invited us over for dinner. So imagine there's a group of people, we're sitting around a table. We get there about six. By 11 p.m., we're still having a great conversation. The candles have burned way down. And I remember saying, I'll never forget, at the end of the meal, I said, man, I want to be in a small group like this. And then this woman that was sitting at the table, she says, yeah, you can be in a small group like this. You want a small group like this? I said, yeah, I do. What's the secret? She says, just keep showing up for 20 years. That's how long we've been meeting. 20 years. I'm, gonna look around, I'm just looking around at this congregation, and I, like many of your young people, like, and by young I mean like 20, Right? or 30, and you're like, this 20 years? Are you kidding me? I'm going to be old and dead 20 years from now. 
And in a world, listen, in a world of consumerism and individualism and materialism and hypermobility, just showing up isn't much of a value. Like we want intimacy, we want community, we want accountability, but we want it microwavable. And God is not making microwave popcorn when he's building the church. He's making like a slow roasted pig, no offense. Like <laughs> days marinating and smoked so that it falls off the fork when you put it in your mouth. But there's no way to do that fast. So uh, we joined a, we created a small group 20 years ago. And we just keep showing up. Sometimes it's boring, sometimes it's exciting, sometimes we laugh, sometimes we cry, we share our kids' weddings, we live life. Keep showing up. And then I went home and immediately to remind me to keep showing up, I started making a rubber band ball. Do you know what those are? Like some of you don't because papers don't come anymore, ever. <laughs> and if they do, they don't come with rubber bands. But we used to get a paper on the, on the porch with a rubber band, so every morning I'd take the rubber band, and the next morning I'd add another rubber band, and another, and another, and another. Until, after years, my rubber band ball was like the size of a mush ball, right? It was, for me, a beautiful reminder that no single rubber band is significant. But collectively, if I just keep showing up, when it's raining, when it's not. When the Seahawks are playing, when they're not. When the Mariners are winning, wait, when the Mariners are playing, <laughs> I just keep showing up. And when you show up and use your gifts, not only are you contributing to the story that God is writing in the world, but your life is being changed. What showing up looks like is evidence in a video that I'm about to show you. And this video is generations of this 103-year-old church, people who have decided to build God's house by showing up day after day after day. Let's enjoy this together. We will call this place our home The dirt in which our roots may grow Though the storms will push and pull We will call this place our We'll tell our stories on these walls Every year measure how tall And just like a work of art We'll tell our stories on these walls Let the years we're here be
Give us all, give us one. 